Prime is with us for since the is you know an intrinsic part of the human drama. It's an intrinsic part of every era. It's the story of power. It's the story of um, politics. It's just, it's you know uh, so you know it's a topic that everybody uh, has opinions on. <laughs> Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions shape our identity and our lives. I'm your host, Pam Schaefer, and our producer is Laura Studeris. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar Magazine. If you like what you hear, you can head over to our Patreon to support us directly and get transcripts of all of our episodes, or you can come hang out with us on your favorite social media platforms, where we can be found under WNB the podcast. For this episode, we spent time with the multi-talented, multi-hyphenates, Harper Simon and Julia Holter. I hope you enjoy our chat. This is my first collaboration episode. It's my first remix episode with two people. Oh, yeah. This one is? Yeah. Oh. Welcome to Why Not Both the Remix Era. This is so exciting. <laughs> it's cool. Thank, thank you for having, having me. Yes. So I was, usually I don't prepare questions. I just will like listen and take in the art that people are making and then chat with them about what's going on in their lives because that is the spirit of why not both is that we're not just like the one thing that we do. It's all the multifaceted stuff. So I'm like, how are you both? What have you both been up to? Uh, Julia, you go first. (laughs) (laughs) Um... I'm fine. I've been working on some projects and um, I've spent the, the last year, I, yeah, doing a little bit of teaching. And, yeah, in some cases, kind of more like conventional, like songwriting and then um, and then a little bit of like weird stuff. Like um, I, did, I did this residency. I'm a, I like lead a workshop in this, with this program called Camp and this like in the Pyrenees in France. That was something I just got back from um, and uh, doing like these, it's uh, called camp. It's like a relatively new program. It's really cool and uh, really fun. And all these artists come and you like do weird stuff together. <laughs> like I was like, please do, tell like, me vocal, more about that. <laughs> like vocal improvisations and like um just getting basically the point is just getting getting feeling creative and making stuff but like I focus on like the words word words and wordlessness like using words but also not using words and nonsense syllables and all kinds of you know fun stuff to get people to write melodies vocal melodies yeah I mean people do write melodies yeah but or just to free them up free them up yeah it's a lot about exactly it's a lot about like freeing them up and it's very fun and it's not like conventional teaching it's very like interactive and they they present stuff there a lot of them are like pretty active artists and stuff so it's they're not like yeah so they 
they contribute a lot to it too. And yeah, it was really fun. I would be so shy and self-conscious at that camp. This, well, this was that. Yeah, I know. I, I just, I just don't know how I would even function in the camp. There were people that didn't even, it was, it's called camp, but it's like really just a bunch of weirdos like in a room um, in like, in this um, kind of like really tiny little village where there's not a lot besides like mountains. But like it was, um, there were people there that didn't sing that were just, that would make stuff with like speaking or like um, wouldn't sing at all and would write music for other people to sing. Or like there was a really, one of my favorites was um, two of the, the students or two of the workshop participants did this thing where they just spoke for like 30 minutes. They just recorded themselves speaking in nonsense to each other, like making up a language that didn't even mean anything for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and they, they even like put in like the, like the, um, like piped in bar. It's supposed to be in a bar. So they created a fake bar atmosphere and they like piped in, um, music atmosphere yeah so it was like this whole invented thing but they're speaking in nonsense for like 30 minutes to each did other it, did any patterns emerge really in the cool. nonsense like did they start forming was it like all through intonation that's fascinating yeah yeah no words yeah so stuff like that they were and they're real that's like, hard they're no but I, it, I know it does sound hard but it was also really funny mostly Dara and Haley those are their names Crediting How, them. <laughs> I was like, did Darren and Haley start doing this spontaneously or were they like, okay, 30 minutes? Nonsense, no, they planned go. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a plan. Oh, wow. <laughs> but oh. did they have also plan, did they have any of this fake language sort of mapped out? No. Son- like phonetically? Mm-mm. No. No, it was all about the moment. And could you read into like? Did you did you were you like reading into the psychology of like? Were you like getting some flirtation or aggression or like were you, like <laughs> intonations out of their nonsense? Were you like it was mostly into it? Yeah, there was definitely like things you could read into it, like um, moment moments of like understanding, and then moments of like maybe that both of them were kind of diverging um there's gonna be a i wonder if it's gonna be a part of it if it's not a part of this one radio show i might try to make a radio show of all the work but um there's gonna be a radio show on the 25th next week that might play that piece anyway <gasps> what um, i can um so it's um let me how do I, oh i will just announce it because i want them to get credit for their awesome art um <laughs> it's so my class is called words and non-words um, and this radio show will be at HTTP. <laughs> it'll yes. be, okay. It'll be at listen dot, listen dot camp. And then it'll be on Mixcloud the next day, mixcloud.com slash camp underscore FR. <laughs> this is anyway, so exciting. I highly recommend cool. this. It'll be all the work of this, of these cool artists. Anyway, I'm, I'm talking a lot, so. No, no. I mean, oh, and, and also, anyway, what what a pleasure to go to France and 
how how long were you there? Yeah, it was just a real condensed. It's like five days. Five but days. We, I was actually there for two weeks because um, my partner also was doing one. Um, so we brought our two year old, and just were like in the in the, in the mountains with like a toddler and. Oh my god! <laughs> it did that too late. I didn't even know. Congratulations! I didn't oh really yeah, thank you. Yeah, since before the pandemic. I know it's so crazy. It's like you had, you had a pandemic baby. It's been a while. I know. I know. <laughs> wow. I was just like a plot twist. A plot twist in the form right. of yeah. a tiny human. <laughs> oh yeah. So in the in the midst of all that of all that um fun stuff, I was not getting any sleep because she had like crazy jet lag. Oh. And Tashi and my partner and I were like tossing her back and forth. But it was fun too, like running around in nature with her. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what a perfect model of a. I was thinking of the word glossolalia. Where it's oh, like, yeah. Where, yeah. I was like, to what, have, what does that word mean? It's it's essentially what Julia was just teaching, which is like fascinating that I was like, wait, that's so exciting. It's like, I think it's like um, the <laughs> phenomenon of apparently speaking in an unknown language, especially in religious worship. So it's like trying to read Finnegan's Wake. Oh, so it's so a little like speaking in tongues. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and that it like acquires the meaning because of the setting that you're in. And it can sometimes phonetically sound like language, but it's not necessarily language. And and did there did there did there like a nonsense dialogue like sometimes like like drift into like sounding like slightly racist. (laughs) 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 Oh, you mean like like, just by accident? You mean like taking on accents or something? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's a good question. I didn't notice that. Um, But I, I didn't, I didn't notice it myself, but that can happen. Like my sister and I, when we were kids would sometimes like, I don't know if you did this with your siblings or with other kids where you'd like make each other laugh by almost like speaking nonsense to each other. But then my sisters would always drift to this very particular accent. And I remember teasing her that I'm like, Oh, you're in the land of foreign because it wasn't like an identifiable accent, but it definitely was like, (laughs) totally. It would always end up there. (laughs) It's definitely very interesting to, because there was this thing we were doing. A lot of people were English. There were a lot, there were it was like English and then European. I don't know, but um, there was there was definitely this thing where we were like practicing how to speak. Like they were trying to say things in an LA person would say. So I was like telling them how to say like, you take like the four or five with <laughs> the ten and then. The- yeah. Like you have teaching a little, like a little, a little valley girl intonation. English people, this is really, fun. and then they were teaching us how to say certain things. It was really fun. I don't. I, that's yes. kind of related. I don't know. <laughs> it's totally related. Well, it's related. Like thinking about how we convey meaning through language, but also through yeah. intonation and like. I mean, I'm I'm from the valley, so I don't know how to unlike my speech. Basically, yes, yeah, like, my speech patterns are just peppered with. <laughs> I know. <laughs> likes um yeah that's i think that's all over the english-speaking world don't you i don't think it's a california thing yeah at this point maybe a generational thing maybe is it generational maybe you think like i mean it was certainly in my generation and I i wonder it's a good question when people started 
saying like. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember mimicking. My I feel like it's like happened in the seventies or something. I don't. I, I feel it, but. Mm-hmm. Did you find where they're almost like? Like I was thinking about words like like or what or um or things that get interjected in that thirty minutes. I I was wondering. I'm so curious to listen to this. I was just like, if there were little interjections that started appearing. Um. I, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they had versions of that. Uh huh. They had a version of um. I mean, I don't remember what it was, but I could pull it up. <laughs> were there were there like other facilitators like were you taking workshops too or what was happening so it's this um organization called camp um and the website's camp.fr if you're curious um basically uh no i was there to run the workshop and then tashi was running a workshop on tuning like in music um which was really f- cool too it was like so yeah, I was just, it's basically, um, people sign up for these like workshops. So they just, they always get great people too. I don't know how, but I've done That's two awesome. online ones in the past and this is my first in person. I want to go. Yeah, yeah you I, should. I was That'd like, be take cool. me. Let's do it. <laughs> Camp.fr. <laughs> I'm thinking about the relation of words and words and not words, essentially, like when you're writing melodies and this, I guess for either of you, like do the words or the melodies come first or do they inform each other? Or does it kind of just depend on circumstance? I feel like I'm talking a lot. So Harper. Oh, sorry. So what was the question? I was I, actually, I was distracted because I was actually thinking about how interesting um, Julia's delivery vocal deliveries and her kind of use of how she plays with intonations and words and her vocal style is very sort of elastic and unusual. Um, I, anyway, I was distracted oh, in my head by a, thinking about that. Uh, that's a good distraction. Uh, uh, coming out of the, 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 the discussion on nonsense syllables and whatnot. Cool. I could what? respond to both of those. Yeah, and then or I'm what? super curious Good. to hear what Harper hears in your vocals because, like, when you two collaborated mm. together, I was like, "Oh, that!" I'm <laughs> like making tiny plotting hands because I'm curious what you heard, Harper. Well, no, I just I I, um, I just think that um, Julie is very inventive and free with how she delivers. Um, how she might stretch words or deliver a word or deliver a line while um, I tend to be, or many other singers tend to be more sort of straightforward in their reading of words and lines. You know, they sort of just sort of give it to you either in kind of a straight colloquial uh, way or in a way that sort of sounds vaguely cool or stonery or I don't know any any number of different kinds of ways but Julia has a very distinct original way of playing with words where I feel like I would never be so free with the with Mm -hmm. that kind of delivery myself Mm -hmm. but just because I maybe I'm just shy or wouldn't think to do it well I have a question about that because 
because I can talk forever about all that stuff and I will but on my my experience with it I guess um, I'm just curious Harper like when you've written when you write vocals like do you write the words first or is it just all over the place it's a little all over the place I think I tend to um, come up with melodic lines and then I sort of fill them up with scratch scratch uh, lyrics sort of first you know same you do the same I'm the same way mostly yeah so and I just was curious with scratch lyrics and I'm like well that just gives me the way this the, rhythmically this is gonna sort of bounce along and I'll go back and try to come up with an interesting line later and or see where the meaning is going to sort of you know how it's going to unveil itself and maybe if there's some meaning or narrative that sort of starts to present itself then uh, I'll let that direct me same although I I'll say um, although I find that also very difficult at times to do um, because then you're kind of trapped into some kind of given meter or something and then I'm like trying to fill up you know I mean uh, I guess um, you know I, I guess there's a, a famous uh, example of that people always talk about is like uh, <clears throat> Paul McCartney doing scrambled eggs you know was yes yesterday I don't know if you know that what I'm talking oh, about oh no did is that what he did I I should have brought what? that the song in. yesterday his when he wrote it his scratch was scrambled eggs Wow. Um, but, That's uh, phenomenal. I mean, it's phenomenal that he could take scrambled eggs and turn it into yesterday. I mean, but I, anyway, I go up with scrambled eggs and then it just like turns into something really, like, really idiotic. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I would just listen to scrambled eggs, quite frankly. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would have stuck with scrambled I eggs. I would have stuck with that, honestly. <laughs> I'm the same. I, I'd stay with that theme. But now I've found recently, um, <clears throat> I mean, sometimes if I come up with some l lyrics, uh, it's maybe it's somewhat kind. Of, it's easier to have them, and then I just if you have some words, you can just start to like throw them out over any kind of structure or something, and at least you have like. Sometimes now I'm trying to go the other way, where I have some words first. Um, so I don't know, I guess, it, yes, all over the place would be the answer. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to know Julia's approach really, because actually her lyrics are very unusual. I think it's really cool to start with words first for me because it's really hard. I don't do it very much. In fact, maybe only like a couple times. I can't, I, <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. Um. But I, because I mean, then you have, then you kind of. But if you try to do that first, then you you, you maybe have. Um, it may be easier to, uh, uh, you know, get your intention out mm, in the song. Mm. Uh, you know, you may because you have you may have something to say or something specific you want to you know write about or say, and if you say that out in lyrics, at least you're starting with the intention as opposed to just trying to turn scrambled eggs into yesterday. Right. I guess I don't know if I usually start with an intention. 
I think I feel things. I have feelings and I have like sometimes like sensory things and I have like a musical like thing I want to have happen. But I know I rarely this is just for me. Obviously, other people are different. Like I rarely can can even go there. I, re- I don't have the ability to like think about an intention like lyric like um meaning wise it's hard i mean i I, maybe i have in the past but i can't think of it i can't think of it because you don't start out with uh say you know like okay i want to write a song about x yeah like i have had like assignments i guess but like i don't think the song that we worked on like i don't think i started with the idea of Eloise. I don't remember, but I don't think so. Well, you must have, I mean, you must have had an idea to use that relationship. I did. I think I started with just the music. I don't, it could have been though, that I did have the idea, but I think mostly I started with the music and was playing along with the track you had sent already because there was something I was working off of the Harper sent me. And then I just started singing a melody and then, but I, maybe I like came up, I don't know. Actually, I have a feeling I didn't though. Does it sometimes it, surprise a, you? Like, I mean, anyway, it's, it, I mean. Maybe I did actually. Maybe I did pull the book out. I pulled the book out and then I was like making text first. That's, just, wow. I don't know. Right. So you had an, you had a, an inspiration, you had a direction. Mm-hmm. But you didn't necessarily have have a specific thing you wanted to say about that particular relationship, or yeah, well, did you? I don't think so. Well, I was exploring the topic, I guess. But what was the relationship that it, that like was kind of the flashpoint there? It sounds almost like it was a trailhead, but then it surprised you where everything went. Uh, like at what moment? Um, well, or maybe she's talking about what, well, you could just maybe, you could give the listeners um, what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. So um, the song is, um, oh my God, what is our song called? Eloise? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So there's like, there's these two, so a lot of people know about the story, but there's this, there's this, um, Eloise was uh, in the middle ages. Well, Abelard was like a well-known professor, I think philosopher. Um, and he had a, an affair with this teenager. I'm sure he was much older. Um, <laughs> uh, Eloise, who became, was like his student. And she um, basically like she got pregnant and then they had this affair, but then it, he didn't want to marry her because it would ruin his career. And like they have, they have these like letters between each other where you see like their relationship, but also sort of like the relationship they're trying or the way they're trying to present themselves, or and like the way he's trying to present himself. And you see these like layers in the letters. And um, anyway, I guess I thought about the it related to because Harper had this crime. Yeah, for your listeners, um, the project we're talking about is called Meditations on Crime, and it's a it's a a book and an album that I put together with a lot of different collaborators, and um, there's an art book with essays, and then there's an accompanying album 
where uh, I did um, co-writes with different artists who sing. I don't sing, and I co-wrote in different ways with different... So it's all guests, and uh, it, it's like a curated uh, project, and um, it's it's called Meditations on Crime. I mean, it, it had a... Um, Really, uh, it, just a kind of a vague umbrella that uh, contributors could bring to it what they wanted to uh, um, to to address, uh, as long as it addressed, in quotes, crime in some way. Uh, but I mean, it, it it runs the gamut. It could it went from you know their essays on war crimes and to uh, uh, you know uh, to, to Julia's song about this relationship that's from many centuries ago. Um, so anyway, that's the that's the project that we're discussing. Yeah, totally. But sorry, well, I don't know what you're. No, know it's good. Not, it's good. Much. I think it's good to have that overview because I thought of this just. I thought of their Heloise and Elbelard just because of the idea of them having this like um, illicit illicit affair. affair. Yeah. How yeah. Did, what were you gonna say? I was like, how did the affair end? That's a good question. Um, he just like left and or she was alone and she had to become a nun and it's not good. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I thought she oh, so I was confused too because I thought maybe she was already in she, she was I, maybe not already a nun, but I thought she was already I thought well partly what made their uh, relationship illicit was that she was maybe in a convent or maybe she was there was a religious uh, dimension to this where she had sort of stepped outside the bounds of her calling. I think like, yeah, I think that that's true. I think she became a nun as a result. Mm. Um, like she, she had to become a nun for her like reputation because she had had this illicit affair. I think that's my understanding. Um, Basically, like, um, I think, oh, yeah, also Abelard um, was castrated, or he, yeah, he was castrated, um, so that's this not great. This is a big in piece of information. We could have put this in the song, Julia. Oh, my God. Can there be a sequel? Can there be a sequel <laughs> song? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, okay, so she was, they were going to get married, and then, um, and like Abelard didn't want to get married because it would ruin his reputation. And then, um, she, like, I don't know. I think, yeah, her, I don't know if it's like her father had Abelard castrated. And then Abelard became a monk. So he had been like a, I guess professor like and like philosopher. Um, Abelard became a monk and then yeah, um, and then he was like, damn, I really should have married her. <laughs> and then she became a nun. So she had to go into the convent. Um wow. because she didn't have a lot of options and um because they had this child. Um yeah. This is in the twelfth century in France, and yeah, um, 
Now I'm wondering what happened to the child. Like that, that lineage her continued. Child, her child was named Astrolabe or Astrolabe, which <gasps> is, um, which means like some kind of ancient instrument for astrological stuff. Astronomical. Yeah, it's an instrument to model the universe. Yep. I was like, I'm going to look at the exact definition of that because I love that word. I can't remember. I think that he disappeared or something. I don't know. Let me see. I'm reading. Let's see. Uh, he kind of. Yeah, it's. Uh... He's recorded as dying um, around this time of year, 29th or 30th of October. Um, but basically, I think he was just raised by someone else. Did he have any known descendants? I'm I'm curious because I'm thinking I'm like okay, what what are we doing now that in in hundreds of years people are going to be like okay, so then this person got castrated, but then that person <laughs> I'm like, like when these people were leading their lives, were they like all right, someone is going to be writing a song about this later? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like I'm so curious what's happening now that in retrospect people are going to be gaining artistic inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's true. And when you were thinking about the criminal dimension to to this situation, were you thinking about his his abandonment of her? No, I was thinking about them in society have their affair being a crime. I guess uh, you were thinking about sort of how they were frowned upon or I was how thinking the about judgment how, against their, yeah, their, their love. I was thinking about how they had, because they had this affair, it like destroyed their lives and how mm. that was like how they were, they could like, they had to like be castrated. Yeah, and, like, I, I'm confused. I thought it was because she was in the convent and now you're saying it's just because she was young. Wait, and he oh. was her professor. I thought she was. I thought she was like a nun who had a like naughty affair, you know, yeah. With a, and that that then she, you know, had sort of whatever offended the church or offended God, or and then was 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 and then was uh, was you know judged or, or or made a pariah or cast out of the convent or something. I, I was confused. Right. I didn't well, think. It's something that it's it's confusing, but I think basically. Um, but then she be- went on to become this sort of formidable I- intellectual, though. Is that also correct? Maybe, I mean, she was a nun. Yeah, I think she or they, was. Or did she their was. letters become famous? Yeah, their letters are famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can read them. Also, I mean, there also is crime in that. Apparently, it's like. He was a lot older than her, and there's some question about like consensual, non-consensual right. sex in their relationship, which of course I could imagine as she was like a teenager and he was older. I don't know, but you know, um, and the times, you know, the time period. Um, but yeah, so there's but their that letters element too. Are, are their letters are not you know accusatory in that way? I mean, their letters are they have a connection? They had a connection too. Yeah. It's complicated. <laughs> I was just like, you can have, you can have a connection within an imbalanced power dynamic. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Where the other? I also am not an expert on this. I just, I just, <laughs> I just um, you know, always. It was just, that. it was a springboard for the song, anyway. So. Yeah. 
Well, in thinking about even the definition of crime, like there are so many layers of potential criminality in that and violation of like, you know, even it's it's fascinating to me that instead of marrying her, like his his worry about maybe losing status, I'm like, bro, you got castrated instead. Like, was that yeah, really I was better? doing the same thing. Boy, I know. <laughs> yeah, that um, sucks. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I I feel that he has more regrets about this situation than her. I'm just he was he here. was worried about marrying her, and I don't totally like. There's some societal reason. It had something to do with... Maybe he was supposed to be celibate. I can't... I don't... Mm. Oh, he. she was of a lower social standing. Um, someone will listen to this and be an expert on Eloise and Abelard and will tell us, but... I'm going to have to run it by my friend, uh, my friend Dana Schwartz does the podcast Noble Blood, where she researches, like, the scandals of um, dead monarchy people that was a terrible description i yeah. should never do her marketing Monarchs. <laughs> occasionally i'm either the most articulate person or i'm like you know we were at the thing you know the place with all the old stuff and my friends like the flea market and i'm like yeah <laughs> like, you get one or the other <laughs> but she loves researching stuff like this i was like oh oh i will definitely run this one by her um to be like have you have you researched this one have you gone down this rabbit hole um because yeah like even even thinking about the the name like meditations on a crime it was interesting i was reading the essays in it and looking at the art listening to the music i was taking in all of it and it did kind of elicit in me at least the feeling of like what what is crime it's so broad and even talking about this i'm like oh there's so many ways to interpret the criminality even within that one story I was like, what a what a jumping off point. Like, I guess, Harper, what inspired you initially to even investigate the topic of that? What inspired me uh, was it came out of it came out of, of truthfully, it sort of came out of the 2016 election. Um, I thought after um, that the new administration came in at that time that I felt it was, I would, I wanted to do something that was political in nature. Uh, I, I wanted to do some kind of creative project that was political, but mm -hmm. I was somewhat bewildered as to how to approach that. Mm. Um, as I felt a lot of the culture, um, was somewhat stumped on how to uh, come up with political content that doesn't feel trite or, you know, like hitting you over the head with an agenda and the same kind of agenda that maybe you hear in an endless echo chamber in the media and on the internet. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now when... Uh, Everybody has a has has a voice on social media. It, it's not like you know the power of like a protest song or something. It's not maybe you know it's not the same as it was maybe in, during the civil rights era and all. So many things have been said, whether it's through 
<clears throat> protest songs from that era through punk rock or I mean it's just a lot has been I could not figure out how to write you know I did not want to sing and write a bunch of sort of political protest songs but I wanted to do um, like I just would not know how to do that and pull that off really and um, but I wanted to do something uh, that was political in nature and I also wanted to do something that was um, I, I don't know. I thought maybe if I did a bunch of a series of collaborations and co-writes with people um, where I could co-write but kind of um, be a bit more behind the scenes and not be out in front and uh, and that it would be a good, you know, I was looking for an excuse to do collaborations or just do some co-writes with various songwriters that I liked or admired or my friends or just see where it led me. And uh, then it turned, then, then I thought, oh, this should have a book. Uh, and I could, I could tap into various writers. I knew writers and journalists and other artists. And then, um, uh, so it just kept sort of fanning out. Um, anyway, I, but sorry to go get back to you. So, so anyway, I was not sure on how to sort of approach the idea of coming up with political content, but, um, uh, I, and I had a few different titles and I had this one title meditations on crime and I, I, I ran that by my friend, this art, an artist, Jonah Freeman, and he liked the title and his encouragement sort of, uh, he encouraged me and then I sort of like, I committed to the title. And the thing that I liked about that was that I felt that there was, there was an obvious political dimension to crime uh, and, and a historical dimension that was political in nature, but uh, it's open enough that it could let the, the various participants and contributors in the project to sort of, it could go other places that weren't intrinsically political. Mm-hmm. It could become more philosophical. It could, it could talk about any number of things. Um, it, it didn't have to be, you know, I mean, it, it went all the way back to uh, the story from the 12th century. Um, it didn't have to be about, you know, uh, railing against the Trump administration or something or talking about, I don't know, more obvious sort of, uh, kinds of crimes in the culture. Um, so I felt like the crime sort of inherently had everything in there and basically, there's the story of crime is the story of the unfolding of human drama. And, um, so, you know, once I sort of had that title and sort of had this sort of mission statement in there, I sort of let people sort of contribute what they want. And what I liked about it is actually as, as it kept, there kept being more contributors coming in, it became more abstract and more philosophical Mm. and more, curious really uh and less political although there actually is quite a lot of political content in there as well that's fascinating how i guess like now that you've created that did it change the way that you conceptualized kind of your own work like if that was something you always wanted to do to collaborate like that yeah i um uh, i did like doing it i mean i liked the 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 book was um, my friend as a Jonah Freeman. He came on. I had a few of the artists. I had Cindy Sherman and I had Tracy Emin and I had a few a few artists. 
but I needed more. And um, I, I, I mean, I just know some artists are my friends or I know them socially, but I'm not really in the art world. So I, I needed yeah. Jonah to, to bring in um, more artists. So he sort of came on board to co-curate the art uh, portion of the book. And then I <clears throat> um, commissioned the essays and then, um, but I didn't, I didn't collaborate on that. I mean, the art is, you know, just images people want to give mostly from their body of work. There are some original images, but most, mm -hmm. most of them are licensed images, but the essays were all original, but I, I just uh, sort of chose the writers mm -hmm. and, uh, but, but the album was a, an original, you know, it was all collaborations. It was all, um, no, I really liked it because I, I'm quite shy about, it. I don't really, I don't know. I'm not, I've, I've never been so comfortable being out in the center of the spotlight and I like mm. car carrying things um, mm. myself. So I did like to, uh, I did like that. I liked, I liked the collaboration and I liked to work with different vocalists and songwriters for sure. And that role, that person that's not in the spotlight, that's that's a critical role too. I think that people underestimate the value of like the curator and the collaborator and the person that facilitates all of that. Well, I'm all over the project, you know. Anyway, you know what I mean. I didn't need to be out there. It was, I, <clears throat> it was fine. I mean, I'm co I co-write on every song. I edited, I, and then I and then I ended up writing a writing my own essay for it. In the end, I went to. I went to uh, the Ukrainian border. I went to Poland and I <clears throat> went there and helped transport um, medical aid and tactical gear and, uh, to the border of uh, Ukraine um, at the start of the war. And then I wrote a piece on that and that got published in Spin and then I put it in the book. Oh, wow. um, so I, I'm all over the project anyway, even if I'm not actually... Uh, singing on it singing a lead vocal on it so well, yeah, yeah i'm very you're... i'm very happy with that i i like i'm happy with that role for sure i was curious how it was impacting you personally now like having gone through that experience and the fact that even you know it seems like the genesis of this was the 2016 election but as we've continued uh in our trajectory through time space things feel at least to me like they've only gotten more chaotic and potentially criminal and then having an experience like that going to like the border in an active war conflict i was like is that impacting you and what you're doing now either in that sphere like in the activism sphere like very tangibly or in the artistic sphere gee that's a good question um yeah, I, you know, the, so the funny thing is, uh, even though the, the genesis of this sort of came out of me feeling uh, compelled to do something that was a bit more political than I would usually do uh, because of the 2016 election, then because this project kept uh, adding more and more contributors and more stuff and uh, it took a long time to accumulate and then... Um, and then COVID hit, and then the the project sort of sat on the shelf for another couple of years. And by the time it, <clears throat> you know, got over the finish line, the, uh, you know, the Trump administration was out. Um, yeah. but, uh, but it doesn't really matter because all of those characters are still very much in play. And in a way, you're right, the world has, seems to have 
become more, or at least, at least there's more of a magnifying glass on the um, on the criminal nature of 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 uh, things today. I mean, it's it's really uh, kind of all we think about and talk about a lot in the political realm. And but maybe you know it always has been. I mean, in a way, uh, you know, to talk about crime is such a it's not it, it's not topical you know I mean crime is with us for since the is you know an intrinsic part of the human drama it's an intrinsic part of every era it's the story of power it's the story of um, politics it's just, it's you know uh, so you know it's a topic that everybody uh, has opinions on and um, it's so big and abstract and, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, but that's what I like about it. And, you know, it, I, it, it was just interesting to see so many different contributors come in with these different points of view on it. Cause, um, like, uh, it really, uh, there was just like all sorts of interesting artistic sort of angles on it. Um, and it could go on forever. I mean, it's almost an absurd title or an absurd topic. It's just too big. It's not like you can nail it, you know? Well, yeah, it's it's fascinating to even think about, like, that we just went kind of like, okay, this is into the future, and Julia, yours went into into the past, and that they can dovetail together. So true. And also, I'll say this also, uh, another note I was thinking, um, uh, <clears throat> I also thought in terms of... Um, musical when I was thinking in terms of the musical collaborations I also thought you know actually I it seems to me that probably love songs are probably the most dominant mode of songwriting in history probably uh, but probably second to that would be songs having to do with crime I mean there's also hymns and spiritual songs that maybe fall into another category. But, you know, other than love songs, I'd say the other dominant mode of songwriting usually has to do with some kind of crime or injustice, um, whether it be, it could be anything, just this, just folk songs, murder ballads, protest songs, songs about social injustice, um, It seems to me that there's just it's just such a big broad category for songwriting that I felt like, well, it's just um, you know, it's just crime. It just works for songs somehow. <laughs> yeah, you'd said that feeling of injustice, like that really resonated. That it feels like the the things that we really like to write about universally are either like, yay, it happened, or no, it didn't happen, and wow, am I mad about it for these reasons. <laughs> Um, those are two pretty big universal feelings. I was like, I can get behind that. Hey, Julia, do you feel like when you write in your songwriting that, would you say that you, the dominant subject matter is personal relationships, like romantic relationships, like love songs in some way? I would say not actually. I mean, I think that the way I always think about personal stuff in my work and maybe the way I think about a lot of 
art, not just my own, is that like the personal is sort of like there already. And it's not like, um, it's not like, it's not like necessarily I'm writing about something explicitly when I'm starting. It's sort of like, it's sort of like there. Everything like that I'm experiencing as a human is in work that I make, but I don't usually come to it with a specific, like I said, intention before, mm-hmm. like a specific, or you'd said that word. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think I often don't have like a clear intention. I'm following something. So it's sort of like, um, I'll make a sound and then I'll follow the sound and see where it takes me, which is sort of reminds me of how you were describing your process, Harper, when you're like writing lyrics. So you let it reveal itself to you. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it's not like all of my songs are just totally stream of consciousness, like nonsense. Like there definitely emerges meaning in various ways, whether it's sonic meaning or like actual meaning with language um, it's always like a mix of both. So I'm like there for the sounds. I'm try- I'm working with the sounds and trying to get the sounds um, to do the. Th- I'm trying to see what the sounds are doing, and then and then right. there's like some meaning emerges mm. out of it. I mean, generally that's true. I would say um, for me, but I think. Um, I kind of like, I remember there's something Harper mentioned earlier about the way that I sing things. Yeah. Which I thought relates to that discussion. Just like, I think that there's a way I sing things, which is like focused on the sound of the words, but is not like, I'm not like a professionally trained vocalist. And I did take I did take vocal lessons once. I'm surprised. I mean, you could have fooled me. (laughs) Go on. I mean, I took vocal lessons once and the guy was like, he's great, but he was trying to get me to like be able to sing certain pitches with the same syllable as like and other pitches. And the way that I basically I was it was revealed that I cheat as a singer. So like I mold my the shape of my voice, the, my mouth to fit certain pitches so I can sing them because otherwise I wouldn't be able to sing them very well. Which if you're like a professional singer like trying to project and be like really do something grand you would be able to you would train your voice to be agile enough to like hit all those pitches Um, like like yeah like singing like ah like on ah and then sing on e and then sing on ooh but i can only sing ooh on this one pitch and i can only sing e on this other pitch right so i feel like it's a vocal range thing you end up having this like limited palette like i end up at least having a limited palette to work with and i feel like a lot of that dictates the words i choose Mm. I think so. I mean, oh, it dictates the words you choose. Not only, probably not, not only the melodies you choose. Probably it does. You know, it's real sonic in the end. It's huh, a yeah, and may, maybe, but but actually, I think if you you probably have quite a larger range than a lot of singers. So I mean, actually, when you when you said that just now, I thought, oh, but actually, 
she she kind of, she has her voice is quite free and she has quite a lot of range and it kind of can go all over the place as opposed to but maybe you're right because maybe or if you think of singers that maybe have very little range like uh, I don't know like Randy Newman or Bob Dylan or something you know what I mean there's no range there they're kind of spitting out they're spitting out words at you in a more talky way. You know, it's right. not, it, it, it's not, there's not big, there's not melodic, there's not a lot of melodic range. I mean, there's some, but it's not like, <clears throat> but maybe you're right. Maybe that kind of serves, uh, you know, like the vocal style and maybe in a way that like, uh, you know, uh, forms the, the, the lyrical intent in some way. Right, right. And it sounds like you know your own, like you as your own instrument. You know yourself really well, and you're writing for you as an instrument. And it sounds like that kind of or Lou Reed say yeah. it doesn't have this doesn't have range. You know, it doesn't. There's no range there. You know, um, but it's not. It's it's not like a judgment. It's it's whatever. I mean, I, I love Lou Reed's vocals. I don't need you know totally. Maria Callas's range. I you know it's totally. And if you're using yourself as like the gauge and as the instrument, like that almost frees up what you can write. If you're writing for yourself and you know, like, you know how it feels in your own body. I was like, then you can, it's not even cheating range. It's like you have your own range is what pops yeah. in my mind. Something that's hard for me is singing other people's music sometimes. Not like doing a cover where like, I mean, it kind of is the same thing, but like I'll choose a song to cover and then I'll, fitted into my range and whatever but I also sometimes sing other people's music and that can be hard you know because it's not um, I'm not like a classical singer conventionally but like I just worked on this I just recorded this piece a friend of mine from college wrote years ago for my voice and originally she wrote this piece for my voice um it's like a composition for a string quartet and then voice and it's mm -hmm. all notated. And she wrote this piece for me to sing in college back then. And, and she was writing it kind of for like a classical singer. Is this the piece that's on aviary? Oh no, this is a, this isn't written by me. This is aviary is my record that I wrote, but this is a piece by a friend, Alex Temple. And um, she has this piece behind the wallpaper and it's mm. like, um, it's, this it's a it was written for me to sing in the string quartet spectral quartet anyway we record we just finished recording it um we've been playing it for years but in it uh, originally she tried to write this piece for me and she had written it kind of for a classical singer and i was like it sounded terrible because i couldn't sing like that much stuff you know it was like really like um it wasn't yeah, it just basically she had to listen to my records to like learn how my voice works, mm -hmm. where it works mm -hmm. to write the piece. And then she wrote this other piece that fits my voice really nicely because she researched it where I can sing, you know? Yes. And mm -hmm. I would imagine your voice has changed since college. You're not, you didn't classically train as a singer, but did you train as a as a composer or an instrumentalist because there's a lot of you know your 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 work is very compositional and then I was yeah yeah I was studying composition so I um I studied piano originally like when I was a kid um I was never a very good pianist though um 
but I studied classical piano for years. Um, but I, again, was not, I was quite like, I loved playing, but I was not very good at it. <laughs> so I decided I like really wanted to write music. So I started as like a, um, as a composer, like I didn't sing at all back then. Um, but I would write music for other people to play basically hmm. behind the scenes. <laughs> you'd write like, like, uh, you'd write like a little, uh, Class, you know, not classical, but or yeah. neoclassical piece yeah. compositions for strings, yeah, it was, for strings or piano or for yeah. And this was a quite short period of my life. So this was starting when I was like seventeen until twenty, and then once I was, I started recording. So I only yeah, but I would write like string quartet or I wrote like a large chamber ensemble piece. None of these things I'm singing in. But I did start singing around that time period and I started recording around that time period and then my whole like world exploded and I was like, oh, I love this. Aww. I love singing, actually. I never knew. <laughs> yeah, because I mean anyway, your 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 records are unusual in that you you bring um, those elements uh, into, you know, what is also maybe considered a I, I don't know, you know, like um, rock, rock and roll, or I don't know, like psychedelic music. You know, you bring uh, you know a lot of classical arrangement, and also sort of I don't know, experimental avant-garde classical sort of elements mm. into your records. That's very um, interesting and unusual. I mean, and very musically formidable. Cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just it's no, uh, it's stating cool. a fact. <laughs> I mean, I definitely was out of place in a classical conservatory atmosphere because I was I didn't listen exclusively to classical music or like even half as much as a lot of the people who were much more deep in that realm and and more educated in that realm. I grew up listening to like pop music mostly so it's a little you know it's confusing for sure and that's definitely I'm I'm a real like dilettante with what music I like and uh do you work with other what do you write out the arrangements yourself for your records or do you work with another or with other arrangers yeah I, I arrange music myself for the most part I mean you could sometimes um in the past sometimes you know um it's like uh, people have a hand in it. If you're like improvising, there's there's a certain elements of group arranging that's happening. But and the whole, I mean, I'm I arrange everything myself and I direct it, and um, I also choose people that I who's who's playing I'm familiar with usually, um, hmm. but not always. Um, so, you know, it's like a lot of, um, there's a lot of dialogue and I, I present music to people to play in a lot of different ways. So sometimes it's just oral, like, oh, can, let's do this. Like, let's play this one chord and then it's going to eventually move to this other chord and you'll do like a ascending tremolo, like on the bass or like whatever that's like one song of mine um, on aviary or like, and then, but, but like how it happens um, as a group 
it happens because everyone does it um, over this certain period of time and the way they do it also impacts everything obviously too um but then i have like other songs where it's like all notated um string parts kind of messily i'm like real messy i'm not gonna say i like put all the articulations in always or like you know um and i just like and, but then do you have like a musical director type person who then cleans it all up or something or then communicates it to the to the ensemble not for not usually um i mean i i i direct them for my for my records yeah and who are some of the composers who've that influenced that aspect of your record making? Well, that aspect of it, I don't know. I mean, I would imagine there are quite a there are people that work this way. Because uh, it sounds like a, a lot of it. There, there's a lot of a lot of it. Sounds like. Um, you know, like modern modern composers, you know, um, like maybe, you know, may, maybe in this, I don't know, Steve Reich or Philip Glass or I don't, I'm not even sure, just modern, like modern composition stuff is, I hear a lot in there. And then I also hear kind of like more sort of, you know, a bit like downtown Laurie Anderson kind of, mm -hmm. you know, stuff in there as well. I don't know. Was that was that with or I don't know Glenn Branca or were that was that uh, those people influential well, to you? I guess I'll say like a big influence for me in sort of recent years has been Alice Coltrane. Oh yeah, mm. I love her too because um, the way that she works with instruments is very inspiring and harmony and melody as a singer as well. Um, and her string arrangements on records like Universal Consciousness really inspired mine, the ones I have on Aviary. And I'm very uh -huh. open about that. Just, it, I, I'm, you know, very, it was, it was, I was really looking for a way to, cause I, I would, I would say my arranging, I've been working on trying to be better at arranging, but it was not always great. Like, my earlier records, I feel like I, um, I feel like I'm really digre we're digressing, but anyway, um, <laughs> no, no. but, um, in my earlier records, it was very, I was a little more like pads, kind of string pads, mm. yeah. like just notate out long tone. And I'm starting to think more, I'm trying to push myself because I, and I think that comes from being a keyboard player. Mm. So kind of playing harmonically, like these kind of homophonic, like chords and singing over that, this kind of structure, this texture, this musical texture, which is like very ubiquitous in like in like contemporary like pop songs or just not even pop songs, but like a lot of songs, I was trying to push myself to really think more polyphonically, like the uh, the lines of the instruments doing different things. And sometimes when I do that, it ends up being much more like heterophonic, which is like each instrument playing sort of a similar thing at the same time, but in different times. Yes. Which is different than polyphonic, but I always come <laughs> back to that because heterophony is like such an appealing texture. But like, I think, yeah, it's sort of a. And then do you, do, do you, I mean, you know, Alice Coltrane, you know, I mean, that's, there's a lot of, I mean, it's very improvisational music. I don't think of your music as having, well, 
I imagine that your vocal layering has a lot of improvisation in it, and then you sort of yeah call it back. But I don't hear that in the uh, in the in the in the you know instrumentalists that much, which is, everything seems really quite composed. I don't. I mean, I don't know what Alice Coltrane's process was. I know that she <clears throat> tends to have these like very distinct, and I mean, she has a lot of different types of recordings, but in the ones I'm talking about, like universal consciousness, she tends to have these like clear melodies that this, and I don't know how she decided, how she got them arranged in this way where like the instruments would be um, basically playing kind of the same thing at the same time, but kind of not. So it's like this really cool, like these ascending lines, but they're like sort of slightly different from each other. But I think, I mean, I, everyone writes differently, so I I don't know how different my process is than Alice Coltrane's, but I think, uh, I'm sure very different, but like, I just was really inspired by that specific, the specific way she treats instruments in her music. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know if, it's hard to know where, how much improvisation or how much I, I yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's a, I mean, she often has like a, you know, like a stand-up bass and drums, like jazz guys, they're sort of like just sort of jamming along in the back and she is improvising on harp, these sort of long and amazing lines and harp, uh, cascading harp. And But she, I know, she, I mean, she probably, like a lot of people in the jazz realm would like, um, at least in traditionally you'd start with like charts which would be composed and have like a harmonic structure and then like a melodic structure. And um, I wouldn't say it's that different for me um, in some ways, in a lot of ways, often I have a chart also. Um, so it's like, sometimes I'll, a lot of times like I'll um, record mock-up solos that I'll make mm -hmm. and then I'll show mm -hmm. it to the player. That's another way. And sometimes uh -huh. I'll transcribe, sometimes I'll transcribe those solos for the player so they have them, but then I let them do their own solo. I mean, I don't write out every solo. Right, right, for example. right, right. Um, so like, I don't know how, I mean, it might be different. I know that she also did something where she like rearranged Stravinsky. Huh. Um, I don't oh. know, Firebird or something. Yeah. So she did all kinds of, stuff where definitely she was controlling a lot of it you know i had a um I, I i mean i i i sort of had my first experience with that kind of thing on this project actually one of the other tracks i did with um marshall allen and the sun Ra orchestra oh yeah awesome right so i i went and recorded with them and i i wrote for them and um that was really one of the um very memorable um, experiences with this record, but with them, I, I, uh, I mean, it was hard cause I, I mean, I'm not jazz trained and I had never, um, written for jazz, uh, players really much less, you know, these illustrious ones from the Sun Ra orchestra that I grew up listening to. Um, so I was sort of intimidated and also wasn't sure how they worked, but I ended up, like you said, I would come up with um, <clears throat> melodic motifs and, uh, you know, and sort of uh, allow them to, you know, play these written melodic 
motifs, which they often didn't really play that, uh, you know, tightly as I had written them, but anyway, and then letting them sort of drift into their improvisatory orchestra universe and then, you know, come back to the motifs. Like, um, I suppose like, like, uh, like, like a lot of jazz. Um, but that was my first experience really sort of working with that, that kind of thing outside of like, rock and roll players um hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah it was that process I, I mean anyway i would love to do it more i just i felt a little bit fraudulent being in there because it's just not my training you know but um um but i was proud to have done it by the end because i loved and, and anyway it was an amazing time we like went to philadelphia where they all live oh wow they all live in Philadelphia, and on some of them still live in this like communal house where Sun Ra lived. You know, they all used to like, live wow. in this communal house, which is like has all these incredible sort of Afrofuturistic like murals and paintings and like kind of psychedelic stuff all on the walls, and like they all you know, they're Marshall Allen is ninety eight years old. I mean, they're really like you know, it was, and also it was really special. I mean, I'm digressing now. I don't know if you're actually interested in the in the story. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, it was just like this. Sounds like you stepped into a time capsule. I did, actually, and it was, um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was put together. It was uh, my friend Hal Wilner, who I'd known for a lot of years. You know, Hal, um, he, and was somewhat inspired by his work with this project because he, he was somebody who did a number of uh, albums and performances where he would get. Um, you know, a bunch of illustrious songwriters or singers to come together on a kind of, he'd make these sort of compilation albums, but they were thematic. Like he would do, he did one called Stay Awake that was on the, like all Disney songs. And then he did one that was all Charles Mingus. He did one that was all Nino Rota compositions. And, but he, he did many of these over the years, even though his sort of day job was that he, Work, did all the sketch music for at Saturday Night Live for like 25 years. That's where he sort of worked. But oh, cool. he was more um, what his real love was was sort of like jazz and avant garde stuff and beatnik stuff and and like more like fringy rock and roll stuff. Even with like, I, I mean, he had everybody on there: Tom Waits and Sonic Youth and Harry Nilsson. I mean, he had a million people on his things. Anyway. Um, and uh, uh, but he and he had worked with Sun Ra a lot, so I I had asked he he then came on and just co-produced these two tracks with me for oh, with, cool. with Sun Ra Orchestra, and, mm, and he, so he awesome. set it up for me, and we we drove down to to uh, to Philadelphia, and like it was really special, and then like we were like we both felt really satisfied at the end of the day you know like we had this great day recording and we went to the, the sun raw house and we hung out with those guys and just talked about jazz and stuff and then we drove back to new york and um and then sadly like within a year he died of covid actually so wow it was sort of the last time i oh, sorry. got to see him um mm. but it was like such a, a perfect um experience to have with him after knowing him for for so long totally uh, Anyway, I just digressing into other anecdotes from the project, but we could probably talk 
all day about this stuff. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story because I'm sorry for your loss, but also what a beautiful experience to have and that you have record of that experience. I'm so, so grateful to have had it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully my plan, I, what I would really like to do, I hope that I get to throw together some kind of performances, um, all the different contributors on this project are kind of all over the globe, but um, I'm hoping to do a couple. I would love to like get the Sunra Orchestra to come and I would and then mix it up with you know Julia Halter and uh, Gang Gang Dance and uh, all the different kind of misfits and uh who, who who came together for this project that's my that's my dream i don't know if i can swing it <laughs> could have Sounds it good could have it in installments i was just like oh my gosh uh, i'm really just trying to like put, put a little bit of pressure on julia halter like on tape so she's <laughs> commits to she has to commit to it and can't Sounds back good. out <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> julia caved under the slightest <laughs> amount of pressure <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> oh, thank you both so much for being so generous with your time and energy to come and chat today. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I don't, I don't get to sit around talking about crime and Alice Coltrane, you know, all in the same conversation <laughs> that, that often, you know. And with the incredible, incredibly talented Julia Holter, who I admire so much. Oh, thank you, Harper. It's really nice to work with you on the project. Oh, well, like, thanks, guys. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.